0: Hello everybody, welcome back to The Missing Piece, a place where we discuss making peace with our mind, body and souls. And today is a bonus episode, woo! And this is part of another type of episode that I am going to share, which is called Peace of the Past, because everything has to be some sort of play on words, obvs. But essentially, it's an episode and when you see this uh, phrase, it will mean that it's an episode shared from a previous season. So these will be guest episodes. And the reason I'm doing this is because I actually, the reason I'm sharing Gavin's journey against day from season one, which is such a beautifully raw and vulnerable episode on mental health. And yeah, so there's a trigger warning here, which will be in the show notes, but trigger warning for suicide here as well. And The reason I'm doing this is because uh, it was actually a year ago today that I released this episode or that I saved the um, cover on it, (laughs) saved the cover on my phone so it came up as a picture, you know, when your phone does that and you're like, why are you sharing with me an Instagram post? Um, But yeah, so it would have come out around this time a year ago and I didn't think much when I first saw it but then I thought, you know what? There are some amazing conversations from season one and you know I do apologize to everyone who's been here since then but most people um, have joined in season two and season three so I wanted to give everyone the opportunity to really hear these beautiful guests particularly from season one because I think they have so much to share and there's so much value in their words and Gavin's I picked because, of course, that came up and the idea came to me, but because Gavin's is really very much a sharing. He is sharing his story, which is a difficult story to share, but he's sharing it because he knows the value of sharing and how this can support others. And that'll all make sense when you listen in. But it's also that I feel more of a draw to going towards more personal journeys and for people to be talking about what's kind of like just what's present for them I feel more of a desire to have them type of conversations coming up soon so if that resonates with you do let me know and I'll link everything to Gavin here again below but it was a beautiful conversation he's just yeah it's one of those ones where you kind of like you know grab a brew and just absorb it all and just be present with it because he's sharing something that's very deep, that's very personal to him and I just think there is so much power in listening to someone else's journey to know that we are not alone, that we can experience these similar things and that there is a lot of support that we can receive in speaking out for ourselves, for our own journeys but also for others, so yeah. Let me know what you think. And uh, yeah, speak soon, everybody. Well, hello, Gavin. Welcome to the podcast. You're our first male guest on the podcast, which is exciting. So thank you very much for being here.
1: What a privilege to be the first male guest. That's amazing. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, you're so welcome.
1: Exceptionally windy day.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So Gavin, for everybody um, who's listening, is down south well, or up north, and uh, I think we're experiencing a little bit of different weather. But uh, hopefully, technology holds out better than it has done at the start of this whole podcast uh, charade, which um, I'll explain all in the introduction. Um, but to get started, Gavin, could you just share a little bit about your journey? I guess how you've got to where you are now, and, and what it is that you're that you're about.
1: Yeah, of course. So I guess the highlights first so I'm mid-30s young family got a got a young son four years old um and if you looked at my life you'd think that it was amazing um you know I've got a lovely house lovely cars um all the kind of things that you could could want for really um a good job um and kind of well respected in that as well but then actually if you start to delve a bit deeper there is a lot of things that have gone on through um my life um that up until really the last year um or so i didn't talk about and a lot of that was down to when i was a youngster um so I was born in Dundee, so I'm, I'm Scottish by, by birth and by heritage and um, proud of it, particularly after we won the rugby the other week. Um,
0: <laughs> got to love Scotland. Yeah,
1: yeah got to love it. Um, but so yeah, I was born in, born in Dundee and you know, it was a nice little life up there. Uh, I think we moved down here when I was about four years old um there's a couple of things that you should know about me. One is that I was born with a lower limb condition um, so it's something called uh, talipes equinivorous um, and it's bilateral so both feet. the short version of that is that it's called club feet <laughs> um, and basically what that means is that your feet uh, don't expand properly so the bones in my ankles um, are are different uh, and the structure of my lower lower legs is different to to a normal person and yeah that was uh, that was more difficult for my parents than it was for me because I was a baby so I don't remember the surgeries and the physio but the story that they tell me was that it was pretty pretty horrific at times then up to straighten out my limbs and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that was kind of just a normal thing for me when I was born. Um, and a normal thing for me when I, when I was in Scotland. Um, and then we moved down to, down to England. So we're in the Midlands now um, and have been for 30-odd years. Um, and then everything kind of changed a bit. And part of that was, I think, that I was Scottish and had a very sweet Dundonian accent, um, or at least that's what I was told. Um, and I think part of it was that actually by that age, you could start to see a difference in my lower legs compared to others. And about five years, six years old was my first experience of being bullied um, and bullied quite badly. And it's a bizarre thing when you're that young because I didn't tell anybody about it. I just kind of, yeah, you you would now describe it as banter and banter is my least favourite word. Um, (laughs) There's certain things I would call people that use it um, now, but not when I was five years old. And it, yeah, there was things like being called a uh, a spastic because my legs were different. So noticeably, my calves are a lot shorter than somebody else's would be. And then, you know, they threw that in and then it was then, oh, well, you're Scottish, so we'll pick on you for that and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that went on for certainly all of my... Younger years, so um through first and middle school um and even to be honest, through high school to to a certain extent um and it forms who you are and it's only in the last year or so, in fact, for it really it's only in the last six months that i've come to realize how much of an impact that's had on me, because what i didn't realize was that framed my way of thinking and it framed my way of thinking right up through my entire life um and you know i i kind of grew up and and i suddenly bulked out and became a kind of big rugby player lad and and uh yeah whilst the bullying carried on um i gave as good as i got and it slowly petered off um but it kind of stayed with me and yeah, I don't know. my childhood was lovely. My parents were amazing, really supportive. Um, but when I was 15, um, I think everything had gotten to the point where it was all a bit too, a bit too much over too long a period. Um, and my gran, um, who I loved dearly, uh, she fairly quickly uh, passed away, and it was yeah, she went from being this this very stout Glaswegian lady um, who used to run pubs in Glasgow, um, and for for anyone that knows Glasgow back in what would have been the sixties seventies there were some rougher areas and, there, and yeah, my gran was known for throwing people out. Um, she was only five foot something, um, but she was just one of those people that you just, she was the most loving person, but at the same time um, she, would, uh, she would tell you what's what. Um, so, yeah, so, so she, she died um, and that was my first experience, proper experience with, um, with death and with grief but at that time I didn't I didn't know that because I mean you know we we're all grown up, and we we know those years are difficult years actually looking back at it and you know I, I kind of grew up in the in the time of you know computers coming into schools and and and, and these things and and probably the early ages of of people being able to to pick on you for a softer term, but bullying you um, for a harder one, not just at school, but also after and outside of it. And just after my grand died, um, I burst out into tears in class. Uh, and so it was something really, really, really silly. Um, it was that I hadn't done my I'd forgotten to do my homework because my grand just, you know, I'd, she just died um and my head was not <laughs> not in the frame of doing maths homework and i just genuinely forgot and i was trying to then explain to the teacher and just suddenly started crying and it was a class full of so it was a public high school but it was a class full of um of boys so we they split out um only maths actually but they split out boys and girls into separate Separate classes, uh, allegedly to improve um, output. Not sure I agree with that one, but um, it's it's what they were trialing anyway. So it was a class full of of testosterone fueled um, teenagers, <laughs> and yeah, I didn't really live that down for for quite quite a few years, and. A few months later, um, so a few months later, my friend uh, was turning sixteen,
2: um, and we um, we had a had a birthday party.
1: It's outside in the garage. It's the only one there's only one there sars sorry for
0: that okay real life
1: these are the things that happen in real life when you're at home um really? so yeah so um it's my friend's birthday party 16th and we he had a party afterwards and i think we'd done paintballing during the day and it was then um his party at night and i'd never really gone to any of these kind of parties where there was drink involved mainly to be honest because i didn't want to risk it i'd never drunk before really although i was i'm sure saying that i had done and being you know they were showing bravado and all that sort of stuff because you do at that age um am my, my night went from bad to worse quite quickly and i just seemed to be fueled with uh whiskey and and all sorts of things and a suspected um spiking of my um of my drink and i ended up in hospital um and having a bit of a breakdown really in hospital to the extent that I text my dad um, and I text him saying that I was going to kill
2: myself. Um, and I then tried to. And I tell that part of my story not to kind of,
1: not as some people think to, to the shock, and um, to many it, it would be a shock. But because actually, when you're that age, and when you've been through about a decade's worth of bullying, look, I, I'm sure there were times where I was not the most kind to to others. Um, So I'm I'm sure I'm not an innocent party, um, but it'd been a lot. And then you have an event where someone that you love dearly dies. If you haven't got the tools at that point in your life to deal with that, it's a really dangerous time. And for me, that was very nearly... About as dangerous as it can get. Fortunately, um, obviously, um, that didn't um, that didn't work, um, and you know, life kind of went went on. To be honest, we didn't really talk about it as a family, and yeah, I, I did see a doctor at that point, but this is. You know, this is like twenty years ago, and <laughs> it was just teenage angst is what they is what they put it down to um but in that moment, I was completely serious um about what I wanted to do and that I didn't want to be around anymore um, I think one of the one of the interesting things in that is that I never wanted to die. I just didn't want to exist. And I think that's something that for a lot of people, it's difficult to get your head around. That Somebody dying by suicide, and I think that language is really important, that is dying by suicide, not killing yourself or not committing suicide. And, and in particular, that committing suicide, it's, it's, you know, you, you're not doing it willfully although it may appear to be Um, and you're doing it because you don't see another option so in that scenario I didn't see any other option of why I would be a bird, why I wouldn't not be around and not exist anymore because by being around I was a burden, that was how I saw it the reality was that I wasn't and obviously I know that now <laughs> but back then I didn't and that really was the first time that looking back that I was going through a period of of depression um and obviously quite severe depression and you know, I kind of muddled through the years and I did the the minimum to to get get by, and I was I was a pretty able student, so I should have been getting. I was predicted really good grades and all that sort of stuff, but I got okay grades. I you know, didn't fail anything, but kind of passed and got by. Um, how are I, you sort of really,
0: feeling? How sorry? How are you sort of feeling during that time after you've had this? Um... You know, you've been through this situation of of feeling like you, um, you know, death by suicide, like you. So, you know, the way you explained there, which I think is really powerful. But how did you then just kind of continue? What did life feel like then?
1: So for me, it was it was akin to how I would imagine it feels like somebody that came out as gay and then went back into the closet, as we would, as we would phrase it, and. That's kind of what happened. Um, I I didn't come out as gay because I'm I'm not. I'm happily married and and all that sort of stuff. But um, I spoke about it at the very narrowest level. Didn't really understand what was going on. And I now again know, looking back, that what I actually did was put it into a box in my head, shut that box, tape it up, cover it with cement, <laughs> put it at the bottom of the, at the bottom of the ocean and, and going <laughs> and kind to of left it. Yeah. Um, or at least that's what I was trying to do because one of the things that you commonly see with somebody that's been bullied is that you've built up certain defence mechanisms um, and one of those things is to compartmentalize. So you become very adept at separating out any form of emotion. Yeah, and that's what, what, I, what I did. Um, and literally just took that emotion and, and put it away. And to a certain extent, that, was, that can be okay for a really short period of time to get you through something. But... And it's a really big, but it just leads to more trouble. Um, and by not dealing with any um, trauma, because that's what that was, and that's what the bullying was, but by not dealing with that, what I was then doing is storing up things and just never dealing with anything so on the face of it um there's only a few people that knew at the time um kind of where my head was at and if my brothers don't know the full extent of where my head was at um and i just locked it away and just put a face on and it was it was as if putting a mask on and putting this outward image of somebody that was happy to a certain extent, but was a really sporty person and that was just gonna get on with life. And you know, this was at a time when even though I was told by a doctor I would never be able to play rugby, I then went out and played really good rugby, I was told I wouldn't be able to play tennis. And then I went home, became really good at tennis, um, and basketball and football and cricket, badminton, et etc. So I just threw myself into a whole host of different activities that meant that I didn't need to think about it.
2: And it actually got to a point where I didn't remember doing it. That's how compartmentalized it became for me that I separated it so
1: far from my my normal life um, and created this mask outwardly that actually it kind of became my inward mask too, and you know it kind of taped over all of the cracks and you know i I tell myself stories internally um over the years when those cracks started to re-emerge um, to, to kind of again push back at that wall of emotion that was hidden away um, and that's not to say that other people wouldn't see me showing emotion it's just that that emotion was kind of fake at least it wasn't as core to who i was as all this stuff that i'd locked away and i think part of that is you know when you've lost somebody and particularly particularly at a young age
2: because you
1: know know, i I know people that have still got their grandparents um and they're, they're they're my age um I find that an amazing thing.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, because... I know. Same for me. I don't have grandparents anymore, but yes, yeah, yeah. I do. And I find it, it yeah, it blows my mind. <laughs> it's, it's so long ago, hasn't it? Wasn't it? it
2: it's,
1: it's, it's a bizarre thing for me to see somebody with a grandparent. Mm. Um, and yeah, that, that has an impact on you. And if you don't deal with that, which is what I did, I didn't deal with it, um, at some point that's going to come out. And, yeah, you know, I, I did one last year after university and I I I studied history of all things. Um, I don't know why I did history. I think it's because I thought it was going to be easy. Um, and I know why I selected my university. Um, it was because of two reasons. One, because there was a, a, a ratio of six to one females to males. And that was something that sounded like a good place to go. <laughs> actually, I actually went and I had a girlfriend in the end, so it didn't even make any difference. Um, we'll but I, I, yeah, well, I I tend to I tend to have better friendships with girls anyway um, than than boys. I'm not that kind of. Although I I have tried to be over the years, who I am isn't that bravado male, masculine, or what we would stereotypically think of, of the masculine man that's just not who i am even though i've been a rugby boy and all that sort of stuff like yeah that's that's great and you know i've done martial arts and and different things and that's all good fun um but that it's a kind of separate part um a separate part to me um so yeah so you know i did university um didn't do that well Um, and that was for a couple of reasons. One unfortunately, the group of friends that I was with um seemed to be kind of cool. That friendship group grew and there were a few people that I just didn't I don't know why I didn't get on with them at the time, I do now. It was because their kind of who they were and who I really was were just two very very different people and the things they were doing were going against my own values um and as we all know going against your values is a recipe to disaster um particularly if you don't even know what your values are at the time um or you are trying to trying to put an image that they're not that you're not a just a nice guy that's fundamentally who i try and be but back then it was more of a bravado thing of you know drinking and going out and all that sort of stuff um and the kind of bullying stuff came back up again um and my second experience with um with death came about um so my uncle who I was always compared to more looks and kind of physique wise than anything else. Cause he was a bit of a, he was a bit more of a lad than I, than I ever was. Um, and he was much more troublesome than I ever was. Um, but he, he had, he'd been ill for probably about three or four years by that point. Um, and he was yeah, he was only a young guy, um, probably similar sort of age to to me now, actually. So I think he was mid thirties. Um, and he had been diagnosed with cancer years before and basically found out because he was playing rugby, um, because he he was a really talented rugby player, you know, should have been playing for Scotland and and all that sort of stuff. Um, really, really talented. And he, he had a bad back. And being a stout Scotsman, um, he didn't do anything about it <laughs> uh, until he basically just, he couldn't walk. Yeah, you know, it was, it was that painful. He was he was in the changing rooms. Um I remember him telling the story that he was in the change rooms after a game of rugby. Um, and yeah, you'd always feel a, a bit battered because it's a physical game but he couldn't he couldn't stand up and he couldn't move um so he eventually went to see the the doctor and was referred on pretty quickly um to have scans and and, um, exams and all that sort of stuff and um he was unfortunately pretty pretty badly affected by um a few cancers by that point uh, and he was never gonna he was never gonna live a full a full life um but he had lots of treatment um uh which yeah, you know, it, it gone into his bones by that point so it was lots of things that were yeah you know, he went from being a six foot three bloke to five 5.10, 5.11 kind of thing from, from all the chemo and, and radiotherapy and, um, and just the cancer itself. Um, hitting him when he was having to have uh, dialysis uh, every week, I think it was, maybe it was two weeks. Um, and he'd been, I mean, when I say he's more of a lad, he, he kind of was in that you know, he was the guy that I kind of looked at and thought, oh, he's really cool because he had a, a fast car so he had a sports car. Um, and yeah, he was, he was just doing what he wanted to do. He owned a pub um, and you know, loved, loved life, but he'd never settled down. Um, and he, he eventually did, uh, did get married and went away to America. Um, and he was a big motorcycle guy. So one of his kind of ambitions was to do the Route 66 on the Harley, and he just finished uh, on the way back to the the hotel before they were coming home,
2: and he was driving, and they just veered off at the side of the road, and
1: that was because um, he he died as he was driving back um
2: there's a few things that I remember from that probably three main things one was my mum which got the news um and I'd never seen mum like that but she was so it was
1: mum's younger brother so mum was mum was the middle um she was just hysterical. Um, you know, I I remember trying to calm her because um,
2: at that point I didn't I didn't know what what happened, um, and you know, she was properly hysterical with with grief. Uh, the other thing that I I
1: remember in a nice way is his funeral because um, it was quite a nice funeral, which is a bizarre thing to say, but it was a, a happy event. You know, there was lots of kind of rugby folk there and 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 all that sort of stuff, and there was lots of people were there. Um, but Mum was really really struggling.
2: Um and the other thing was that I didn't cry. Um and looking back, I often cry at my grand's funeral. And I can I can kind of know why that
1: was now because partly there was an image in my head of
2: a man and that men don't cry. The other side of it was that I had
1: shoved all those emotions so far away that by the point that I got to my uncle's funeral, a man that I really respected, um, and that to a certain extent I emulated and was, you know, told that I would look spitting the image of and and all of these things. But i shoved it so far away that I couldn't cry. Um and then that third year at uni, I just drank. <laughs> just to, that was all I did. Um to the extent that I probably made myself quite ill, really, um, with it, put on a lot of weight. Um and just had a really bad kind of habit um through that time. And it probably didn't help that one of my friends' moms had had died um in the kind of middle of that third year, who used to live across the road. And that just kind of added into things really. Um and then I I literally can't remember anything apart from those life events. Um do
0: you mean because we kind it... of blocked them out or because of the alcohol or, or both?
1: So both. Um, so there was definitely a part of it that was alcohol-based. So I just, yeah, you know, there was a lot. I mean, you is lots of drinking anyway. It doesn't need to be, just to be clear, but that's what certainly was the the dumb thing back then. Um, And really more so that by locking away emotions, what what I didn't realise, because I didn't even know that I was doing it at that point, I I didn't really understand that I'd not dealt with anything. But by not by, by not understanding what was going on, and by not um, doing the work to deal with that stuff, uh, you also lock away memories. Um, so yeah, I mean, I lots of my friends will tell stories about our childhood,
2: um, and I, although I, I'm told I was there can't remember it cannot
1: remember it at all and that kind of went on for for years really the next big thing that I then remember is that my my friend had a massive car crash um, and I got the call uh, in the morning um, to say that he was in ITU yeah? and it's only these things that I remember
2: I kind of plodded along with life for for years. Um
1: and I I went back to uni and so I I I worked in banking to start with. Um I literally walked into um a bank one day and said, Have you got any jobs? <laughs> Cause I was bored of what I was doing it working in uh working in game stores. <laughs> As a customer service manager, because that was their grad, that was their graduate scheme. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, started off and, and and did really well, and became became very good at that job. um Built up a a kind of my own business, really within within what they were what they were selling, um, and then. I just I got bored of it really so I went back to uni and did my did my legal studies um, and <laughs> went into law and I thought the law was going to be my my thing my my kind of passion I guess um, but also it was something that my Mom and my grand both said that i 'd be really good at, and that's probably true because I did well in my exams and stuff and and all that, but I encountered some pretty pretty difficult people um to put it nicely uh working in that profession and one one guy in particular was just, he was just a a bully. It's just who he was. Yeah. He, he just, he wanted to be the only, the only person that, that had a say in all these things. Um, And I just couldn't deal with that. So I, rather just leaving that, that job and and going into a, a different firm, I, I, just quit law completely um and that's again something that that i've my reactions to things tend to be significantly more than they really should be um, why, do you,
0: why do you think that is do you have you any thoughts on it now in reflection
1: yeah so i think a lot of it is linking back into that how you deal with trauma um and how you deal with things uh growing up if you if you've got a load of stuff bottled up which I still do now um I'm much more able to talk about it now there's still loads of stuff that I need to work through um and I think when you've got that there without you knowing it it doesn't take much just to tip that scale the wrong way so something that would be i think we've all got this to a certain extent where we've all got a certain level that we'll go to it's a bit like that game um buckaroo
3: Mm,
0: yeah yeah
1: so you're stacking stacking all these things up and you're taking taking all these different things on and some will be great and some will lessen the burden and some will be just weighing you down that bit more um and there is only so much that anyone can take and what might be something really little to somebody else that's had a pretty straightforward or easy or simple life, whatever you want to call it. and hasn't had things that they've had to deal with because, you know, as we say, there are plenty of people that have still got grandparents, um, which is amazing. Um, but if you haven't had to go through that, particularly when you're younger in your formative years, you've just got you've got more flex in what you can can deal with compared to somebody that has had those things and hasn't dealt with them. I think actually, if you've dealt with those things when you're younger, you're then more able to deal with them when when you're when you're older. Um, but it's the not dealing with stuff that. Has caused caused me big reactions, um, and that was one. Yeah, I, I and the banking one was the same. That there was a bloke that I who just went against my moral compass, so I quit banking and went into law. <laughs> and then, then there was one in law who went against my moral compass, so I quit law. <laughs> And then went back into banking.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. It's <just> controlling the <laughs> things you can control, I guess, as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. There's definitely an element of that. Because you don't have the control, particularly, particularly when you've had what is essentially a form of abuse. And I, I think when when people say that they've been bullied, it's almost, it's almost watering down what's really happened. That... That is a form of abuse, and if you've been through that, and hopefully most people haven't, but if you've been through that and a sustained period of that in particular, that changes who you are, or at least who you allow yourself to be, because you have to put mechanisms. And, and I, I work in a kind of um, a risk environment these days and it's all about controls so you've got you've got something that can go wrong so therefore we do this to to prevent it or to lessen it and it's the same thing that you do as a as a human being but you put in different um barriers or you put in different you know, in my case separation off of of emotions um, and you do that to get by um and you don't entirely understand that and i definitely didn't at that age um and you probably don't understand it until a significant enough event happens that you're forced to look at it is that something um, that happened to you yeah so i I came across a guy that he was just one of those people that was inspiring um and someone i i not not even wanted to work for I had to work with him because he was just this person that everything about him again I just wanted to be like him he he was just one of those people that you just don't meet that often. Um, a really special person. Um, unfortunately, I did, um, and you know, we
2: we worked together um, pretty closely for uh, about a year and a half. Um,
1: and he, you know, he was a happy guy. He had a had a young family and, and everything, and we were between um Birmingham and and London at the point so you know I'd go down to London he'd go down to London and uh likewise come up here um and he was he was due in um in the London office one day and I've been chatting to him the night before just normal conversations work conversations about um stuff that was going on and I I, I needed his his help on some things um it was just something i didn't come across and he was um kind of communicating by email as i was on the train back
2: um and everything seemed normal and he was saying that let's catch up let's catch up on this tomorrow um
1: yeah as as you often would so completely normal, normal kind of thing. Then tomorrow came and I had a really weird call. Um and it was from one of my London colleagues. I just asking where he was, which was a bit odd. And yeah, it it it'd been, <laughs> it been he's one of those people that you always had a story. So there's always there was always something that that um that he'd kind of turn into a funny story. Um so I was like, wow, he's probably just missed the train or or something, or he's spilled his coffee down his shirt again and and um I had to go and buy a new one. Um I'll I'll try and try and get a hold of him on, on my side and you try yours. And then the kind of day went on a little bit and if I'm honest, I kind of forgot to a certain extent that um, he wasn't uh, he hadn't arrived anywhere, and I just noticed as I was talking to one of my colleagues that some of the senior people were looking just a little bit more worried than they normally would um, and in a different way to what they normally would do, and we were all asked to to kind of come around because it was an announcement to be
2: made. And that announcement was that um, that my boss had, had died suddenly. And I remember that point very, very clearly because it was like... Everything went from full color to grey,
1: like the atmosphere went from open and lovely to a kind of squashing force pushing down on me. And I was stood by um, one of my colleagues who
2: worked with closely. Um, was being in the team and she just turned around and and, and kind of hugged me and I had a
1: ridiculous thought because I could feel that I was um, I was going to cry and I said in my mind that you can't cry because men don't cry Professionals don't cry, so I quickly excused myself um, and went off to the to the the bathroom, and I did cry, broke down crying, um, and then kind of pulled myself together and, and went on about, went on about life, um, and yeah, weeks went by and.
2: We never heard how he died. Um, and then one day I got a call from a colleague um, who was down in London
1: that found out. Um, and they kind of asked, yeah, do you, do you want to know? I said, yeah, well, yeah, I, I kind of, I need, I needed to know. Um, and
2: yeah he he had died by suicide and this is a guy that yeah I I wanted to be I just he was just
1: one of those people who was if you're going to emulate anyone then he was who you'd
2: em, emulate and I remember feeling an incredible sadness because it was just very sad that that's that's what happened. That it got to the point where um, that's that was the the only thing left for him.
1: Sadness for his family as well because they were without a dad and a husband.
2: Um, and guilt. Masses, masters of guilt. Why did
1: I not spot it? Why did I not do something about it? Why didn't I ask more questions, check in with them more? All
2: these different things that, you yeah, they're stupid. They're daft. Because, one,
1: I didn't. <laughs> and there's a reason that I didn't. Because he was outwardly fine, happy, actually. Um, you know, he'd just been on a on a fitness craze, got really into shape again and we were talking about how he was gonna play rugby again and and all that sort of stuff, and
2: and you yeah, know, just he was in a good place. At least that's what it seemed like. And you know, we went to the funeral and um it was
1: actually quite a nice funeral because there was a lot again, lots of rugby people there, because he was he played a lot with the local club when he was younger. Um and yeah uh, the kind of songs that were chosen were all kind of upbeat and, and everything.
2: Um but that was a that was the first of two events that forced me into thinking and what I should also say was that was a month after I'd gotten married so the kind of guilt element wasn't just down to you know kind of feeling Obviously, because i should have done something but it was also because i was super happy and genuinely i
1: was really happy at that point in my life i'd just gotten married to the, the love of my life um and it was an amazing day
2: and you know we we're still riding that that high um and then that happened and I, there was a bit of anger in there because I, I was thinking, why? Um, but then also guilt because when I was going home, yeah, it wasn't the,
1: the kind of honeymoon period after getting married that we should have been having.
2: I was very depressed. Very depressed. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, honeymoon was the month after.
1: Um, and I was best man at my one of my best friend's weddings.
2: Um, and yeah, I just wasn't on full to the extent I, I nearly, nearly dropped out. Um, and that that's kind of tough to to deal with Um, and then one of our family
1: friends also then then died then my uncle then died Um, and that was kind of a bit of a snowball effect over the next few years
2: and you know I kind of Adjusted the mask that I'd put on um, rather stupidly so, looking back at it now, because
1: you yeah, the 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 world in that sense of our team was was literally falling apart in front of my eyes. People had left as a, as a result of that um, people had not moved up to Birmingham um,
2: uh, as a result of it and everything was changing. Um, But I just put this mask back on and just carried on with life.
1: My son arrived just before the year anniversary. um,
2: And I remember... I remember kind of thinking, how could a dad do that? Um, and then feeling
1: really guilty because why wasn't I just enjoying that moment, holding my son for the first time? Instead, I was thinking about what had happened. And that kind of cycle carried on for years. Um,
2: that's about five, six years ago now. Um, and it was just one of these stream of events um, my son was born at the start of September
1: in 2017 and
2: then my mum my was diagnosed with, um, with breast cancer uh, a couple of months after which is, is difficult, <laughs> um, really difficult.
1: Yeah, she, she had a very aggressive form of, of that. Um, and sadly, it, it, it spread already to her lymph nodes. So she had lots of chemo and radiotherapy and um, surgery and all that sort of stuff. I kind of thought that
2: it, we cracked it. Um, and there's a photo of Mum holding
1: Albus. Uh, so my son's called Albus, which tells you a lot about me. Um, in the, I grew up with the Harry Potter books. Um, <laughs>
3: Good
1: old Dumbledore. Even though, exactly. Even though my wife actually chose the name, she she's never read Harry Potter, um, and I had no idea that that was <laughs> that was, character. It, awesome was character. She didn't know it was a character? No.
0: That's um, crazy. That's a, yeah. that's a sure sign, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, I just very quietly, <laughs> uh, very quietly, just um, let that one go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> just a little sign of punch into the air. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, and it was actually in the, the delivery room. So it was a bit of a brutal um delivery and uh, emergency c section that um more efforts go through and that was very scary um yeah. the guy in the um just out just after so they had to take a take abs off to get checked out cause of numerous reasons um <laughs> and Sarah said their name to the guy uh, and he's like oh Dumbledore <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah what
1: <laughs> and that was the first the first moment I was like too late now <laughs> <laughs> um, but it it really suits him um so I, I name. A, yeah I mean it is it's, it is it is Albus McIntyre Clark is his full name which I think is quite a strong um a strong name for you well, that's a strong
0: superhero name if any I've heard. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. Um he, he does like superheroes. Um but yeah, like he, he he's he's a good he's a good boy. Um and a really bright, loving, caring boy. And actually some of that some of that probably comes from
2: yeah, you know, he. So he only knew my mum as being ill. So, yeah, one year, one years old, he had no clue.
1: He was a big Michelin, Michelin man sized baby. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the mum deteriorated uh, quite substantially. Um and you we know, kind of lost parts of the mum as as we went along, really, because um, the cancer spread to her brain. And for anyone that's,
2: that's experienced that, um, you'll probably understand what I'm saying, in that that's the most peculiar type of grief. Because throughout... That experience,
1: it's almost like you're constantly grieving for something you've lost. The first thing is that your mum, who you saw as invincible, because you do with your parents,
2: Mm. um, you realise that they're not. And then, you know, mum... Mum actually shaved her hair off in the end
1: um, she was a bit of a, a, bit of a rebel my mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: Um,
1: but uh, yeah that was another thing very physical thing that, that was a change and then it was that she couldn't walk so she was wheelchair bound and that just kind of kept on going to the point that Mum died Um, That was on Christmas morning,
3: Mm.
1: um, 2019. So just before COVID. (laughs)
2: Um, And I didn't even deal with that. Mm. I didn't even cry then. Yeah. But that was the time when I realised that Something was, I would say something was wrong with me.
1: <laughs> I know that's not the it's not the way I should be saying it, but that's how I felt at that time that something was broken.
0: Yeah, yeah. How with
1: how you. It, I looked at myself. Um and it was also the first time that a doctor listened to me.
2: Um and the doctor had cared for, for mum. Um and yeah,
1: I, I did all the kind of practical stuff with, with mum dying, so helping out with all the all the finances and make sure everything was, was sorted um and the you yeah, know just all the legalities and all that type of stuff that you don't even think about but have to
2: deal with. Um and I spoke at mum's funeral and somehow got through that, um,
1: still don't know how, um, and then I started a new job at work. So it was a newly created team and, um, you we just, we were just completely new. Uh, and I kind of came into that. And one of the first thing I said to my team was that,
2: I have got something going on um, in that my my mum has just died and I'm struggling.
1: But I want to make sure that you are all looked
2: after and that you are all able to be the best in what you can be. And it was a really interesting reaction I got. And this was a team
1: that I hadn't hired. So I, I, they they had been hired just before I started. So I hadn't even interviewed. Um,
2: And immediately it created um, an atmosphere of being able to speak about things.
1: And it also created something that meant that they wanted to help they wanted to come into work and that put us in a really good shape for what was about to be for everybody one of the most difficult periods that any of us have ever faced i think in that covid19 came along Mm. um and we all suddenly got this, right? You're all working from home. So we're all very lucky in that you know, we work for a big organization and and uh we were kept in jobs, uh, unlike a lot of people. Um and we all just had to suddenly start working from home when we'd been in the office uh pretty much every day. I'd taken two days off, which was for mom's funeral, um and threw myself into work again just trying not to deal with it focus Mm -hmm. on something
2: else Um, and then the person that I was working for wasn't wasn't the right person to be working for Um,
1: he made my life hell
2: really Um, which I've told him Um, and throughout
1: that lockdown period I had Albus at home so my wife was working on the front lines in the NHS Um, so I was trying to look after a two and a bit year old Um, mum had just died
2: Covid-19 had hit we were all into lockdown, worrying about everyone.
1: I was worrying about my dad.
2: Um,
1: he'd just lost his childhood sweetheart. They'd been together since they were teenagers. Um, and my my grand, my dad's mom, um, had also just died. albeit she was ninety nine, so she <laughs> she had a pretty a pretty good life. So, you, know, you can you can comprehend that a bit a bit easier but still um we couldn't go and see it. him so all those things going on
2: and this is where you really understand why being kind being caring being compassionate having empathy
1: are much more important than having a high iq or, or being able to do a particular skill i can i can teach anybody to do something that's really easy it's just a case of going right this is these are, this is how you break it down we keep on doing it until until you've got it and, and understand that you've developed that that skill but being empathetic being compassionate being a loving person and
2: (laughs) loving is something that we should all show in the work in the workplace
1: it is something that we should show to our team because the thing that we've got to remember is that we're all human beings and if you separate out anything that you're leaving at home kindness Passion, caring for your fellow people, being empathetic, being able to metaphorically put your arm around somebody and, and make sure that they're okay. If you leave that at home, what are you bring to work? You mm-hmm. might get something done, but you're doing it out of the detriment of other people. And no yourself, amount- I imagine. Yeah, I would say so. Um, and unfortunately, the the guy that I worked for was, was that person. He he was, let's get it done, not, not let's do it the right way. Um, and yeah, that's probably a, an element of pressure that, that he was under and, and all that sort of stuff. But the thing that i did that not many other people did i didn't let any of that pressure go to my team mm. because why why would i <laughs> it's why would i make somebody's life more difficult when actually if i want people to be able to do the things that we need them to do you build people up mm. there's something that i was listening to the other day and and they were talking about the the burning platform basically what this is is that if you put somebody on a burning platform or a platform rather you set it on fire they will find a way of of escaping before that burns away and they essentially fall to their death now that's one way of doing it and that's through fear because that's what you're generating by your you're creating fear to get something done and that will get something done in a certain way or you can use still use fire but you use it in a different way in that you can have somebody put in a basket a big balloon alongside them with the fire going and it'll blow up this balloon and you'll float off both escaping one is in a way that's taking that person safely and taking that person um on a journey that is the right thing to do and being empathetic with it and the other is by saying well do or die and i know that i respond to one much better than the other Mm. um and within that environment, I was obviously already pretty pretty torn up inside. Um I'd start speaking to therapists, um, put on medication for depression and and anxiety at that point. Um I was diagnosed with post traumatic stress disorder. Um, for a variety of events through my life that I've talked to um,
2: but because of that person I was as close
1: since I was 16 to to not being around
2: um, I'd planned what I was going to do um how when where etc um and that was to take my own life and i had been having suicidal thoughts for quite a while actually
1: um i just hadn't admitted it to anybody (laughs) at that point um and on one particularly hideous day started down that path but very fortunately and I still don't know why still don't know why I picked the phone up Um, but I did um,
2: pick the phone up to my GP um, and got through they
1: made sure that I spoke to the person I'd been dealing with and I then was signed off um, and had really intense therapy Um, and I didn't work for three months Mm. I felt massively guilty about that um, because my team had been through a lot they'd lost relatives from Covid
2: and I'd looked after them all Um, actually spoke to one recently um and he
1: was thanking me for for that time which i think is a bit strange (laughs) but lovely um that that he thought that he needed to which he didn't because i'm very much of the opinion that you never need to thank somebody else for being kind that's just who we should be um and yeah lots of lots of therapy um lots of facing um, some of these things that were coming up um, I was having a lot of intrusive thoughts so the therapy was focused on that, it was all over Zoom (laughs) so it was slightly bizarre Um, and I had a really bizarre treatment uh, which is based on rapid uh, rapid eye movements Uh, but you can't do that over Zoom so we had to use the slightly different technique of tapping um it's all about allowing your um your traumatic thoughts to be processed basically so it puts you kind of into a state of of um the REM stage of sleep which is your processing stage um and eventually got back into work it was still under that same guy but i was in a position where i could face him a bit more um and i told him exactly what he'd done um and that helped and then you know kind of moved on and and i don't have anything to do with him now because i made that happen um but it has also led me to talking about it
3: mm, yeah
1: and yeah i'm I'm really privileged in that I'm able to talk about it because you know my boss that isn't here now, he can't talk about it um and yeah you know, i I still go to therapy I still see a psychiatrist and a psychologist I'm still on a lot of medication
2: um and the thing is that that's okay, yeah yeah
1: if I was if I'd broken my arm which I did when I was nine (laughs) (laughs) um yeah you'd go to the hospital and you'd get whatever you needed plaster cast or whatever and you'd get pay meds so why wouldn't you do the same thing for your your mental well-being Mm. um and you know it's it's brought me through to talk at different events so I do I do different public speaking, talking about um, my experiences and, and how that can help other people. Um, and I've got a few goals. Um, one is to, to do more in that space um, and host different events and build that out because I think having, having more male voices um, talking like this will help uh, particularly when you look at suicide rates um, mm-hmm. although females are more likely um, statistically to have um, depression uh, in particular uh, the male suicide rate is something like 75% higher um, and is the highest um, mortality rate for men between the age of 25 and 49 which is crazy
0: yeah
1: yeah really 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 crazy um so i do that in a few ways i i i do a lot of work so i still work for a big organization that's a really good platform to be able to do that um so i was on international men's day doing a a talk in, in front of thousands of people um which was slightly scary but good fun
3: um
1: and i like you i i host my own podcast so i i share i share what what i've got going on um and have amazing guests on to to hear what what they've got Uh, and it's all about bringing out a conversation having a safe place to do that because certainly my experience was that not having a place to talk and actually being able to know that that place was somewhere that I could go and be with my thoughts and understand them and do something with them. Not having that made it more difficult for me. Um, So if I can create a space um, and a platform to allow people to, to do that, then I'm going to do it.
0: Yeah, I I mean, thank you so much for creating this platform. And because, you know, I've listened to a few of your episodes as well. And your podcast is called The Safe Place as well for anybody listening, which I'll link in the show notes below. But Gavin talks, as you can hear in this, openly and vulnerably uh, about your own story. And through sharing your own story, like you said, you're helping other people. You're kind of not that we need permission as such, but it does kind of give that permission that we haven't allowed ourselves to to have all our lives, to really go yeah. into our own story, yeah, and and hear that, well, we're not alone as well. That's another massive one. And I guess the importance of talking. So as we're kind of rounding up this episode, what is it that you would like to... I guess, Cher, what kind of advice do you have for people out there who are struggling with their emotions or struggling with something and they don't even know it's their emotions, you know, maybe they've buried them deep down. What advice do you have for those people?
1: So there's a few things. The, the first one is to sit with it. Particularly if you're someone like me and you have not actually confronted any of this stuff that you've got going on you need to allow yourself to sit with it um there's different ways you can do that um so i do i do some mindfulness practice which i'm rubbish at but it's a way of doing it and you know we don't even have to go into it and be super um super into it it, thinking that we've got to do like an hour's worth if you can do 30 seconds of mindfulness you're doing really well
0: (laughs) you're (laughs) winning you're doing it
1: aren't you yeah yeah um so sitting with it um and the way i would do that is lay down somewhere in a quiet space make sure you're comfortable but just lie down somewhere um put your phone somewhere else that's a fairly important thing And if you've got a watch like me, which is going to be buzzing away at yourself, put that away as well. Make sure it's a properly quiet space and just listen to your thoughts. Listen to them, acknowledge them, you know, metaphorically say hello to them and then just let them glide on. And getting into that practice, it sounds like something that's really, really simple but try and do it for five minutes and you'll realize mm-hmm. that actually it's really difficult to not attach onto those thoughts. And it's a way of training yourself to be aware of what's going on, but also to let go. Yeah. And it's that letting go that is really important. So that's one. The other one is um, a kind of health side of things. Be as active physically active as you are able to to be um and this is coming from somebody that um isn't as active as i used to be and i know that my um mental health space suffers as a result of it unfortunately I'm, i'm waiting for a surgery to to happen um so i'm restricted somewhat but just by being more active and doing more things you'll find that you're giving yourself the best opportunity to be able to deal with things because by being more active and particularly by being outside and being more active, you have more energy. And again, the thing that we don't often realize is that thinking takes up a lot of energy.
0: Mm, Yeah.
1: Really difficult to do. Properly thinking about stuff is really hard. Anyone that's ever been to, um, to a therapy session will know that you are knackered after it. Um, so give yourself the best opportunity by being active to have more energy to be able to deal with these things. And the big one is, and I know this is difficult to do, but it is to talk about it. hmm um there's different ways you can do that there's um a more insular way which is um mostly referred to as journaling um and for those that that wonder what journaling is it's it's writing stuff down um and having that as a way of putting your emotions out somewhere um can be a useful method um i 'm not that great at that personally I, I actually I actually use these these types of conversations more than anything else um, mm-hmm. to to do that um, if you're able to talk to a friend about it, then your friends will understand you'll be surprised at how much people understand and if you need somebody else then there are lots of different resources that you've got um, about the place. It might be in work. You've got, you've got um, a health scheme. Use it. You've got a GP. Some are better than others. I'm aware, but keep at it. Um, And the other thing about it is I am now on my third therapist. And there's a couple of reasons for that one because um they each do slightly different things so the first one was just me talking to somebody about grief because mama just died then it was okay there's a there's a bit more to this um so only speaks to somebody else um having specific treatment and that was useful for that period um And then there's the one that I'm now seeing. And actually, if you think about it, it's actually, I'm seeing two people. So I'm seeing a a psychiatrist and a a, um, psychologist. Um, So there's actually four people that I've been speaking to, plus my GP. So that's five, probably different GPs, Mm. six, seven, eight. Yeah. yeah, it starts It starts to unfold. And what you'll find with all these different conversations is that, one, you'll be able to share more with some people than you can with others, and that's okay. But also, you'll have a different relationship and bond and understanding with some people than others, and that's completely natural. So if the first one doesn't quite work out, I know it can be really difficult, but try not to... Let that stop you seeking further help. Um, And, of course, you've got great lines like um, the Samaritans. You've got uh, charities like Mind, um, who are all really, really great. Um, Macmillan Care are a fantastic resource as well. So there's loads of resources out there. It's all about taking that first step. And once you take that first step, it's then taking the second step just taking it step by step by step rather than thinking right i need to be fixed now Mm. because that's just not how it works
0: it's an ever-unfolding journey isn't it
1: it is it is indeed well so
3: yeah
0: yeah well that's really great advice thank you because you're keeping you know like you're sharing there it's it's really about the sort of it's it's about the simple things of listening to ourselves seeking the support that we need and being active is massive. Getting out in nature is massive, and it's really yeah. things that you can incorporate into your everyday life. And like you said, and I know people can find it difficult as well when they go and seek a therapist, and they don't, for some reason, they don't, they don't resonate with them. It doesn't work for them, and it can be very hard to try again. But like you said there, and and really just, to, I guess to add that, we are all humans, and we all have different energies, and we we just we do we vibe with different people, don't we? And certain types mm-hmm. of therapy may work for you more than somebody else. So really, please keep going everybody so um gavin as we're you know just at the end of the podcast here where can our audience find you
1: so best place is um through the safe place podcast so you'll find that on every single possible podcasting site but the main ones being apple amazon and um whatever the other one is spotify that's the one thank you (laughs) I always forget that one because I use, I, I, I do it through, um, their other platform, which is Anchor. Um,
3: uh, yeah,
0: yeah,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so you'll find, you'll find that it's a beautiful blue black, uh, background with, uh, with a wee house on the front. Um, and a it's, yeah, I, I made that myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> More skills.
1: <laughs> These are the things that you randomly do uh, yeah. <laughs> and learn. Um, and also on instagram so uh that's even easier you've got me which is at i am gavin clark and that's clark with an e so if you search for that you'll find me so if you want to hear hear more from me and i share variety of different things um on there then there's all sorts of things that you can get involved with um so yeah please go and, and like and follow and and share
0: Lovely. Thank you. I'll link all this in the show notes below as well. And uh, yeah, I just want to say another massive thank you for coming on the podcast, Gavin, and sharing your story so openly and vulnerably. I think it's uh, going to be very powerful for people. So thank you.
3: No problem
1: at all. Thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. I would love to know what you think of the episode and you can reach out to me in the show notes below. The options are there. And if you feel called to rate or review or share this episode, I would be incredibly grateful. Thank you very much, everyone.